study this is the class that's dealing with the the Pentateuch the first five books of the Bible the five books of Moses we are Lord willing going to finish up the book of numbers tonight and then we'll have one book left we'll use the remainder of the month to cover have a couple of announcements to make then we're going to sing a song and have a prayer one is if you're a part of the golden circle group and you're available on tuesday this week there is a luncheon that typically starts around 11:30. so love for you to be a part if if you're in the if you're in the age for that 55 and up and you're available why don't you stop by and enjoy a good time together it's just a great time of fellowship and then, I'm sure you get tired of hearing about all my announcements about my family. But my daughter-in-law, Whitney, she has passed her due date, and she is going to the hospital tonight at 8, where she don't have it before then. They're going to start the process to encourage her body to deliver that baby. So we would really appreciate you remembering her in your prayers. And then this. This morning, I just went all over about my mother-in-law being here and that little Millie being here. And my daughter's like, who are we? So I made an announcement. Well, there were only two people in the auditorium at the time, but I made an announcement to try and correct that oversight. But Hey, my daughter and her husband were here this morning, too. Yeah. Thank you, mother-in-law. But <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I'm trying to, you know, trying to make it right. Okay. Uh, let's sing number 915, Trust and Obey. There are some things we'll talk about tonight that... It just seems like this is pretty appropriate to that. Trust and obey, 915. We'll see the first, third, and fifth verses. When we walk with the Lord in the night of His Yeah. 
in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be together, to study your word. We thank you for these books that are so live, alive with history, uh, full of doctrine and uh, indicators concerning Jesus. And as we read these things, we are always challenged and uh, we grow. And we thank you for the, the benefit of just being able to read these these documents that you produced so long ago that still have just such impactful stories and lessons in them. And I pray, Lord, that we will learn from the examples of the past and not, not replicate those mistakes. Lord, we pray for those who are sick, and there are many, and we're praying for their recovery. Those who are injured, we pray, Lord, that you will help their bodies to heal, and we just rejoice that so many have returned and seem to be doing well, and we pray for their continued progress. Lord, I pray that you'll be with uh, Whitney Forrest as she's about to enter the hospital. We just pray that you'll bless her, that she'll have a safe delivery, uh, that both her and the baby will be okay, and that they'll, they'll make a good start in their, their life. Lord, we, we thank you for all that you do for us, and uh, I pray, Lord, that as, as we look at these things, it's just become a, a blessing and a benefit to us uh, as we're trying to grow in our knowledge of, of biblical things. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as we've studied the book of Numbers, we know that this book deals primarily with, well, the, the wilderness wandering. You're two years into the Exodus. You uh, kind of get a, a foretaste of things that are to happen. There's a number tally that's given. Then we basically have a break with the exception of a couple of insights of things that happened during those 40 years. And then finally, we have the end. It's just like you fell asleep one day, you woke up 40 years later, and there you are. It's a Rip Van Winkle sort of story. But what you have is a contrast between the initial generation of people who were unfaithful and then the subsequent generation that rises up out of that is faithful to God and is able to enter into the promised land. And much of what we read historically there translates itself into doctrinal matters that are helpful for us as we're trying to live for Jesus. And there's a lot of parallels there. And then also, as we think about Jesus, the things that that were learned under Moses, man, they just, they, they are translated into something awesome and powerful when you understand who Jesus is and sacrifice that he's made and, and all that we read there being fulfilled in Jesus. All that stuff is, is great to examine. Now, tonight we're gonna look at two of the last sections of purpose. We've talked about the historical purpose Tonight, we're going to look into doctrinal purpose and um, um, Christological purpose. I also was asked a question about a, a certain aspect of this book, uh, particularly chapter 15. So we're going to look at some of those things that are written there just, 
just kind of get a, a sense of what was going on then and how that translates to us now. Actually, there's quite a parallel in our New Testament setting. Okay, so think about doctrinal purposes that are in this book. And there are a lot of things. Marilyn was asking me about vows. There's a section in this book dealing with vows. And just, there's all kinds of interesting things. What I wanted to do is touch on just a handful of those things that really bear upon our walk and our relationship with Jesus and how they are tied into some New Testament teachings. One of those things has to do with the importance of us being a people of endurance and being a people of hope. Now, when you read through the book of Numbers, you're, you're going to see endurance because here's a people that, you know, they, they are committed now in their wilderness wanderings and they're hopeful that at least the latter generation is going to make it safely through and we're not going to make the same mistakes of the past and we're going to be able to take that land that God has promised. Well, Romans chapter 15 verse 4, and someone can be turning to that text, that text reminds us that what we're reading about in the Old Testament scriptures, what we see them go through, through is to be a testament, not just to their fortitude, their endurance, their hope and all that, but it serves as an example to us so that when we read the, the history that unfolds, it will motivate us to make better choices too. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Who has that? Some people wonder why, why study these books? I mean, we're under... Uh, Jesus Christ. We're under the New Testament. Why would we bother with those Old Testament books? In fact, I was in a Bible class one time where someone very sternly said, this is a waste of time. It's in the Old Testament scriptures. Why are we even studying this? And I said, well, I was thinking about Romans 15, verse 4. <laughs> you know, things that were written before were written for our learning. What does that mean? Okay, you study that. Now, we're not studying that so we'll know how to use lampstands or how to offer incense. But you understand that those things translate into a spiritual component. So all those things... A couple of different things. One is God's expectation of people when he makes a covenant with them. What is it that he expects? Is he lenient? You know, can you do what you want? We've already discovered, no, you cannot. You better do it to the T. Or when, when you're in the process of obeying God, I mean, okay, I'm, I see what, what they did, their practices, and boy, they, they seem archaic, archaic. There's a lot of blood that's being shed. There's a lot of form and function, all that. You will find that as laborious, for instance, as that was to read through the book of Leviticus, every one of those ceremonial activities, all of those elements that were a part of the tabernacle, all of that foreshadowed something that we find in Christ or in the church and in terms of our worship of God. So all, all of that is important. It's not important to study it to find out what to do and let's do it. Not that. 
But the circumstances behind it, the, the motivations, the attitudes, our relationship with God, how we function with a holy God. Has God stopped being holy? No, not at all. In fact, we notice that God calls us also to be what? Be holy for I am holy. So God calls us to be the same thing. Another matter doctrinally that I guess was of concern was, and that certainly does apply to us now, was the fact that they, they in that wilderness wandering, right, for 40 years, there's all kinds of opportunity for them to turn their backs on God or to be tempted by the nations that are around them, specifically to be tempted to commit sin. That is something that has not changed. So we are reminded by the experiences of what happened in the past, not to lust or to have a heart that sets itself on evil things. Now, talk about fulfillment of Romans chapter 15, verse 4, where we look back. Somebody read for us 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 11 specifically. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 through 11. Whoa. Somebody also flip over to Numbers chapter 25. So, wow, we have a lot of variety right here. <laughs> okay, who has 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 through 11? Okay. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil. Okay, okay you know how I do, Jim, so this is okay. These are examples so that what? So you'll just have a good base of information and it'll be kind of cool. You'll be able to talk about the past. Is that what that's for? No, it is an example so that you'll not do what? You'll not fall in the same trap. Okay, keep going, Jim. Neither be idolaters as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. Neither let us commit sexual immorality as some of them committed, when 23,000 fell in one day. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Neither murmur, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them for examples they are written, as an admonition to us upon whom the end of the ages has come. Why are those things written and why are they still available? Why can I open my Bible up and read about them? There are examples. They continue. They admonish us. What does it mean to be admonished? It's a, it's a warning. A warning. Listen, were any of those sins that they fell prey to, any of those a problem today? Or have we outgrown all that stuff? We're so sophisticated now. We would never fall prey to any of that stuff, right? Wrong. Every single thing you read there. Every single thing. Now, who has Numbers chapter 25? Numbers chapter 25. Okay, way in the back. Now, read it strong for us and read the whole chapter. It's a short chapter. 
Now Israel remained in Achaia, Achaia, Acacia, the grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. Well, they started doing what? Harlotry. Harlotry. They were sexually active with these Moabites. Okay, people. They invited the people to the, the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Okay, hold on. What else are they doing? Okay, keep going. Was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. Wow, wait, stop. Is God serious? It wasn't, let's have our police force go out, round up the transgressors, and we'll deal with them. What did they tell the people to do? You find them in the midst of you, and you do what? You say, oh, wow, this is unbelievable. What, a, what an angry God. What, that is just so archaic. That is just so backward thinking. Is God a holy God? Does God play around with sexual immorality? Does he play around with idolatry? Does he play around with people who flaunt their sin before him? No, he does not. And by the way, what is the purpose of having everybody involved in this excision of sin from the body? Okay, first, <laughs> you, if you do, you're, you're first going to examine yourself, right? And then you're going to take action because you are demonstrating where you stand in this matter. Okay, keep going, Stephen. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it. He rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. Okay, stop right there for a second. You're going to get the rest of the story. Uh, if you want to cover your ears, that's fine. But this is real. This is the reality of the situation. And by the way, this wasn't something that was being done behind the scenes, kept quiet. Where was this woman? Right out there in the open. Okay, keep going, Stephen. Went after the, the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body, so the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, uh, the the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Now the name of the Israelite who was killed 
who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Selu, a leader of a father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zer. He was the head of the people of a father's house in Midian. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, harass the Midianites and attack them, for they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the leader of Midian, their sister, who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. Okay, thank you. That's good. Thank you, Stephen. Okay, so tell me something about Phinehas. Is there something you can say about Phinehas that is like, wow, that guy, he is a great example of, starts with a Z, has an eel in it. That guy was zealous for the Lord. What does it mean to be zealous for the Lord? Got a bunch of bumper stickers on your car? You wear a t-shirt. It says, I'm a Christian. You've got one of those ties that's got fish on it. Is that zealous for the Lord? I don't know. It might be. But real zeal for the Lord. What'd that guy do? He, obeyed, he saw sin in the camp. And what did he do? Boy, he did not play around. This is serious. In fact, the event was so extraordinary that what did God do in response? Stop, stop, stop. That's it. Boy, that action has, that action has been an example, therefore a testament and actually something I'm going to put in place of everybody else's action. That has become an atonement for this. Act. I stopped the plague right here. It's over. Wow. All because here was somebody who couldn't stand the fact that sin had become so blatant in that. It reminds me of the study that we did uh, some weeks ago of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You remember? There was a man there who was so taken in his sin, such a sin that's not even mentioned among the Gentiles, that he had his own father's wife. And the church was, well, what were they? They were okay with it. They're okay. Hey, we're full of grace and mercy. We'll just accept whatever. It's sin. And, you know, Jesus will just overlook sin. Is that true? No. His blood will wash away sin. But that comes as a result of what action on your part? obedience, repentance, obedience. That wasn't happening. And Paul says, I can't believe what I'm hearing. And I'm not even with you, but I've judged already. I mean, this is a no brainer. What has happened to us? And I'll tell you, in our society, it seems like common sense has absolutely flown out the window. Am I wrong? About, am I the only one that feels that way? I see people like Phineas in my mind running around with javelins looking for a for opportunities to demonstrate their zeal. We ought to hate sin when it exposes itself before us. It cost people their lives because they were taking it. In fact, what did God say about Moab? Moab had not actually mounted up a, a contingent of soldiers and attacked Israel, but it was just as much as such, wasn't it? And God is like, okay, there's going to be retribution. Because their action bringing in the idolatry and the sinful practice was as much of a destruction of their society as any military action ever could have been. Okay, that's the second thing. A third thing that we would think doctrinally here about the book of Numbers, and th to me, this is pretty 
significant. And that is, everybody has the potential to fall. Everybody has the potential to fall. Even, guess who? Starts with an M. Moses. Numbers records the fall of Moses. You say, what? What are you talking about? Who will, we're going to compare two texts. One, we've already seen before. Exodus chapter 17. And somebody read the first seven verses. Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. And we're going to have our thinking caps on as we have that read for us. And then we're going to compare that to what we find here in the book of Numbers, chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. They are very similar. Now, you'll notice by the description of the locations that these things happen, that they're in different places. But the outcomes are quite different. Who has Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7? Yes, with me, but you're actually doing what? You're testing God. Okay, keep going. Just like you struck the water before, you strike that rock, and bingo, I'm right there at the rock. I'm going to bring water. Okay, keep going. God care about us? Why are we out here and we're so thirsty? Why can't he take care of it? He brought us out here, blah, 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 blah. We've heard that a hundred times. But God's like, okay, I'll take care of it. Moses, you take that staff, you strike that rock. Did it bring forth water? People got water. It's good. Everything's good. They've been mumbling, complaining. Not only now are we good with God, we're good with Moses, everything. Peace, fine. God's taking care of us. Did it through... No big deal. No big deal. Did what God said, got water. Hey, it's God's process. No big deal. No problems. Who will read Numbers chapter 21 through 13? Yes. Then when the children of Israel, whose uh, the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zen in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, 
and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron, and the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought, brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring, to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, and gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield water. He said, take the rod, right? Which is what he had told him there in Exodus 17. Take the rod. In Exodus 17, take the rod and do what? Strike the rock. Water came out. Easy peasy, no problem. Here, now Stephen, did, did you read that he said, take, the, take it, but speak to the rock? That's what that said, was it? Okay, keep going. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before him, from, I'm sorry, so Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said, notice, notice what Stephen just read for us. He took the staff according to what? According to the commandment of the Lord. The Lord told him to take the staff, yes or no? Yes, he did. Did he take the staff? Yes, he did. In obedience to the Lord. Keep going, Stephen. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given you. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Not easy peasy, not a good outcome. There's a difference. He did grab the staff like he was told to. He went to the rock, but God had told him on this occasion, you do what? Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. I'll bring forth the water. Did Moses speak to the rock? Moses took that staff just as he had done in the other instance, which was easy peasy according to the commandment of the Lord. He brought the staff along. Surely God must want him to have the staff, had the staff. He hid it. Did it bring forth water first swing? No, it did not. He hit the thing how many times? He had to hit it twice. God brings forth water out of that rock. But what happened then? Yeah, he's not, he is not going in the promised land. Pardon? Yeah, must we? He's also, you know, before it's God who brings the water out of the rock. Now it's what? We 
now he's bringing himself along with God. You kind of get the idea. He's kind of gotten to the place where he's a little bit, we call it biggity, <laughs> little uppity, you know. Must we bring water from this rock? You know, you're stubborn. Is he frustrated? Yeah, he's frustrated. Are these people just a stiff-necked people? Yeah, they are. Are they just, just complaining and mumbling? All the, yeah, they are. Doesn't that irritate you? Yeah, it does. Does that give you an excuse not to obey the word of the Lord? No, it, no, it doesn't. You say, boy, God sure is nitpicky. That's not what God is. God is holy. God is holy. God could have said, don't do anything. Here's your water. God could have said, send Aaron over there. Let him take a swing at it this time. Whatever God consecrated as the means to produce the water, that has become what? That has become the holy process by which the water will come forth. If you step in there and try to do something else, what will, what will be the result for you? You will, you will pay a heavy price. In this case, just because of this, because of unfaithfulness to the command of God, maybe even seeking glory for himself, God, God forbid, God forbade Moses from entering into the promised land. Is question again, and this question comes up a lot, is God serious about what he tells us to do? God is absolutely serious. Okay, now, let's, let's think about some, some uh, Christ-centered things, some Christological purposes that we find in this book. One has to do with the matter of atonement itself. And when we talk about atonement, we're talking about the reconciliation that's made between God and man. And that comes through a particular medium. That medium is blood. We saw in the book of Leviticus that the life is in the what? The life is in the blood. So Jesus, that's foreshadowing Jesus offering his blood, life blood, in order to offer a sacrifice that's going to be once for all to benefit us so that we can have our sins washed away. Anybody remember First John chapter, or the book of John chapter 1 and verse 29? Remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus? He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Somebody read for us Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. Sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. 
How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, there, there's actually an interesting, didn't notice it before, but there's an interesting connection to uh, the question that we're going to, uh, Lord willing, look at here in a minute from Numbers chapter 15 about unintentional sin. There was a sacrifice that could be offered to offer substitution for unintentional type sins. Uh, he describes it there, but he says, how much more the blood of the blood of the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus, as he's tending the heavenly tabernacle, I mean, how convenient is that, right? Not only is he tending there's an intercessor for us, but what is it that he offers uh, uh, on our behalf? Uh, the sacrifice of him, himself. Once for all, that blood shed for the purpose of washing those sins away, not, not to be brought up annually or continually, but once for all having been having been washed away. In this book of Numbers, you have an emphasis upon the lampstand, uh, which was many people, many scholars think there's a correlation between the presence of the lampstand, the production of light, and what Jesus is as light. I want to look at three verses of scripture from the book of John. John chapter 1 verse 4, uh, then the other one will be chapter 8 verse 12, and then chapter 12, verse 46. Who has John chapter 1, verse 4? Okay, and Jesus is what? Light. Who's it for? It's, it's for all of us, right? He goes on to talk about how that the light shines in the darkness. Darkness comprehended it not. Jesus came as light in the midst of a world filled with darkness. Did that quiet his light? Snuff him out? Shake your head this way. No, of course not. He is the eternal light that is shining. He came to bring light to our lives. John chapter 8 verse 12. What does that text say? Jesus, where am I going? I'm going out of my darkness into, into light. John 12, verse 46. I have come as a light of the world. Whoever believes in me is not a bad man. Okay, there we have it. Jesus, the light. Jesus comes in darkness, and following Jesus, we translate from darkness to light. That light is correlated with life, which is what kind of life? That's, that's eternal life. Jesus talks about the abundant life, but that is, that is eternal life. Okay, and the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Somebody read that text. Kind of, a, kind of an obs obscure statement, but th the rest of the Bible makes a big deal out of what is found here in terms of the star and the scepter. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. 
to become, especially as you go on in the scriptures, you find him related to the throne of David. What would Jesus become? Starts with a K. Has an ing in it. King! Right! What kind of king? Well, let's put it this way. There are kings and then there is the king of kings. There are lords and then there is the Lord of Lords. Jesus is to become the king of his kingdom, which is a kingdom that would once established last for how long? Forever and ever. John 16 and verse 33. Who would read that text? John 16, verse 33. Is that John 16, 33? Yeah. So what is Jesus able to do? What's he offering us? Is he... What? Okay, better, better times, yeah. When, when you read Numbers 24, 17 and see the star and the scepter, what does a star do? What do stars do? You say, well, they shine, blah, blah. Well, if you, are, if you are in a boat somewhere out on the water or you are camping out somewhere, what do those stars do? They give you direction. It is a light in the midst of darkness that we follow in order to find our place, right? We're lost. We can be th through, I guess, a fastidious use of that light. We can be found. What, is this, what does a scepter represent? Who usually carries a scepter? Okay, the king does. It is a symbol of his authority as the king. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 22 to 24. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 to 24. All right, so now I'll die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first Christ. Okay, the prophecies you're going to read um, out of Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verse 7, uh, Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5. Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, you're going to find that this king sitting on his throne is going to rule over all nations. All were going to be subdued. He's going to be the conqueror, if you will. But it is a spiritual dominance that's being described there. And every, 
every form of authority or every reign is going to be subjugated to his. That is, that is all about Jesus in his reign, and in particular of the establishment of the church, his kingdom. I see that we've run out of time. So I'm going to give you an assignment. Please, please read Numbers chapter 15. Next week, we're going to start with a question that lingers from, from that. We'll talk about unintentional sin for just a few minutes. And then we'll launch into our final book, the book of Deuteronomy. Thank you so much for your participation and your attention tonight. Uh, listen, we always want to offer an opportunity for anybody who needs to respond for some reason, whether you need prayers or even uh, to obey the gospel. We have some elders in here. Uh, raise your hand if you're one of our elders. Okay, here's two. Wow. And there's one right. At, oh, they're all kind of up at the front tonight. We are getting serious. But if you need to speak with one of those, please do, or you can speak with myself. We'll take whatever time is necessary. Also, if you were not able to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, uh, after I uh, dismiss us with prayer, if you'll make your way to the chapel, then you will be served. I will remind you that this Wednesday night, we're also going to have a devotional period, but we're changing it up from last week. Uh, this week, you go immediately to your Bible class, and then about quarter till, we'll meet in the auditorium for a, a final um, devotional period. All right, let's have our prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for a beautiful day today, and thank you for the blessings that we've enjoyed of fellowship and in particular of worship. And Lord, we just pray that all that we've done has been acceptable to you. Thank you for your word and the instruction that it gives and help us, Lord, to learn from the examples of the past. We pray that you will bless us as we travel to our homes or other destinations and that you'll keep us safe. In Jesus' name, amen.